shots are for losers. Welcome, everyone, to another great edition of Statistically Speaking. I'm your co-host, Kyle. With me always is the very lovely and talented Blinken Riley. And we have a special guest today. Um, he is a data scientist. His name is John Wheeler. He has um, a what he calls a better college football playoff ranking system, which is backed by high-level data analytics, which is what we love. We love to talk about that on the show. Uh, it's called CFP resume rankings, college, college football playoff resume rankings. Uh, come find him on Twitter. John, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Excited to talk a little bit about you know, what we're trying to capture, the data we're looking at, and how that does or does not align with what the committee's trying to do. Yeah, I mean, we are right at the at the last little bit of having no college football playoff ranking. So based off of your your system where like so say if the say if the playoff committee release rankings right now wh- who are your top like 10 teams like who, who are the four making it uh, right now based on your system so the the committee has a lot to juggle whenever they put out rankings and they will have a lot to weigh next week uh, when their first rankings come out on Tuesday uh, but for now they would be looking at you know fairly sparse data given that we're just barely over halfway through the season. Um, there would be a couple key data points, a couple of key games that they would lean on to understand where teams belong. And you, oftentimes this early in the process, what you hear the committee talk about is you know, you'll hear them mention something like, well, you know, based on the eye test, we thought this team just, they look very strong relative to their competition. Or you'll hear, you know, early on, uh, the committee loves to reference how many top 25 wins a team has, and they'll track that as the season progresses, or they'll eventually get to where they, they perhaps mention how many bowl eligible teams you have beaten. And so they're, they're always looking for ways to try to justify why they have done what they've done. Uh, but they don't ever you know, really get into the data that drives their decision. They struggle to do that sometimes in an effective way, which is why you hear so much hate and feedback. Uh, negative feedback for the committee as they're trying to go through those explanations. Uh, but what they would be looking at this week, the, the number one is obvious and clear, not a, uh, other than maybe uh, Bill Connolly's S&P Plus. Uh, there's probably not a rating system uh, in the country right now that doesn't have Georgia at number one. I think uh, SP Plus had Ohio State uh, in the top spot. But oh, Georgia ooh. is playing – playing very strong football. They'd be an easy choice at number one. They actually have right. both the strongest uh, composite team strength rating and the strongest raw resume that we capture. So a lot of our data, the way we do rankings, you know, we're looking to capture the eye test or how strong a team is. We're also looking to capture you know, who did they beat, which you know, those are the two things the committee leans on a lot. And uh, for strength, we're not doing anything ourselves that's super unique. There are a lot of other people, some people who've been on this podcast, who compile composite team strength ratings, mm-hmm. um, you know, metric consensus that I, I believe Andrew uh, collects. Uh, there are a couple others. Uh, if I got that wrong, I apologize. But I, I know there are some who have been on, who've shared similar uh, you know, composite rating systems. We, we do that as well. 
um, collecting a lot of things that you know and love, SP+, FPI, Sagarin, Wolf, Wilson, and DK, a whole host of things. Some things that fed the BCS that you know are very much just what the season's capturing. Some things that take into account all sorts of priors and um, additional information. And we, we blend it all together. We use an Olympic model, so we're throwing out highs and lows in terms of you know, rating systems that come in. But it gives us a pretty good understanding because every one of the systems we use is opponent adjusted. So it doesn't matter who your opponents are, you can still capture how strong someone is. And uh, it's kind of like when you look at, uh, if you've ever heard of or seen the Massey rating system where they take a bunch of different polls and they kind of compile those together and say, all right, here's the average poll rating that someone has. We do something similar, except for we normalize all of our data over and over and over again to a, a one to 100 scale where one is like the strongest or the best value and 100 is the worst. And so it allows us to understand how much stronger Georgia at number one is than say Alabama, who is the second strongest team, or perhaps, um, you know, Michigan or Ohio State or Cincinnati or any of those other teams, you know, how much stronger is Georgia? And so we capture that in our composite team strength rating. It's normalized. We do the same thing with our raw resumes, which are, are captured by accounting for the resume value of beating the teams that you that you had on your schedule. So you beat a team and they have a, a known strength. And so that strength it relates to the, the resume value you receive by beating them with some adjustment for home, away, neutral site games. Georgia has the best raw resume in the country by a, a pretty large margin. Uh, their resume value of one, remember it's a one to 100 scale. Alabama is the second strongest raw resume, even with a loss. And their raw resume value is 12.1 on that scale. And that, that is a massive gap. That's the same uh, gap back to uh, Iowa at seven. Uh, the gap from Iowa at seven. I mean, you're just starting to jump incrementally, you know, scales up. Um, yeah. To cover that gap so that there's just a, a huge swath georgia and then everyone else it's not close uh, you might have heard me mention alabama rating as the second strongest team uh, that's not a surprise even with their loss they have dominated a lot of good teams this year and uh, most of the rating systems have some kind of preseason bias or preseason uh, projection, I should say, but as the season progresses, those projections are baked out of their strength ratings, uh, which is how you see someone like Clemson drop from, uh, I believe, third or fourth in the preseason down to 23rd right now, because that, you know, as their season of uh, of actual play, you know, progresses, you know, those preseason um, projections are baked out. So Alabama, even you know, with some favor in the preseason, they still are. You know, comfortably number two is the strong second strongest team in the country, even with a loss. Um, they also have the second strongest raw resume, but by a much smaller margin than than where Georgia is relative to them. Um, they are you know, less than a point ahead of Oklahoma in the raw resume category. So Alabama right now, despite their loss, has the the second strongest overall resume, but they do have the loss to Texas A&M. So you have to think about, you know how do you value wins and losses that are actually, you know, games that are happening? How do you, how does the committee handle that? When do they apply head to head? You know, is it that Alabama just has not played both Arkansas and Mississippi state and maybe 
Texas A&M's head-to-head win should apply and you wouldn't rank Alabama ahead of A&M? Or are there scheduling imbalances to where you you should apply that head-to-head result? Usually when the committee is talking about it, they're looking for teams that either seem to be of uh, relative comparable strength, so there's not some massive strength differential between the teams where one team just purely stands out. Uh, They've shown to forgive a loss if they still believe based on the full season resume that one team is just stronger than the other. Uh, they also will look at the overall body of work. Is the overall resume comparable? You saw that uh, in their initial season with Baylor and TCU uh, going into the last week, TCU at three, Baylor at six. And the, the narrative was that Baylor had not played Kansas State, a top 15 team yet. And so the resumes were not yet comparable. And once they were comparable, then they applied the head-to-head result as a tiebreak. So Alabama is so far ahead of Texas A&M in terms of both team strength and overall resume that uh, our data, you know, the numbers you know, we put in logic to try to capture what the committee would do and, and our logic frees Alabama up from that loss. They, they comfortably have the second strongest resume in the country. So it, it would not surprise us. Now the committee doesn't like you know, elevating a team with a loss so early, they might not put Alabama at two. But if they put out rankings, they would certainly strongly consider putting Alabama in the two spot, even with a loss. Uh, they would be weighing Alabama, in our view, against not Cincinnati, the AP number two team, uh, but against Michigan and Oklahoma, who have the number three and number four uh, overall resumes at this point, respectively, both undefeated teams in Power Five conferences. Uh, Michigan rates as the fourth strongest team in the country, Oklahoma, the sixth strongest team. Uh, That's surprising for Michigan, given where they started the season out. Their their season opening strength rating was a 41.6, which means they they were almost closer to being one of the worst teams than they were being one of the best with all things normalized. Uh, They were just very much a middle of the pack team. And you might not think that they have played a ton of really strong opponents uh, over the course of the season. They did have a close game against Nebraska uh, along the way. But again, all of our strength ratings are opponent adjusted. They account for who you play and how well you play. Uh, Some of them you're really diving into the non-garbage time. So what doesn't happen at the end of the games to account for that. But Michigan has risen rapidly in the team strength rating, um, up all the way up to number four right now. And so Michigan and, and Oklahoma, the fourth and sixth strongest teams, raw resume, uh, Michigan has the fifth strongest raw resume. Again, you might not think that because it doesn't seem like they had a big prime time or a big, you know, you know, key matchup along the, the course of the season, but they have played a lot of games that have decent resume value games where, you know, other ranked teams have lost, um, you know, their game against Wisconsin, you know, everyone laughs at Wisconsin for falling on their face and not being able to play offense for the first half of the season. But Wisconsin's three losses uh, suddenly to Penn State in a really tight game. Penn State's not bad, even with their nine overtime loss to Illinois. Um, then they also have a loss to Michigan undefeated and Notre Dame, a top 10 team. So maybe they're not as bad as people thought. Um Again, you just can't buy into the narratives. You have to reevaluate the season week after week, which is what the committee does. 
you know, that game on the road has value. The the game on the road against Nebraska has value. Nebraska really struggling this season, it would seem, but the rating systems love them. 35th strongest team. Um, they've struggled to put away a couple of games that they absolutely could have won. One against Michigan State, I believe. Um, so there is some value in Michigan's overall resume being 7-0, not having you know, an FCS game on the schedule, which gives you no value at all. Um, it's, it's not, you know, world beating resume, but it's not bad either. They beat Western Michigan who, you know, for the, the face planning they've done in the last couple of weeks, they beat Pitt, not a bad team. It still gives you some value. Um, so yeah, the Michigan there, they have a decent overall resume, Oklahoma, the f- third strongest overall resume, uh, right behind Alabama. Um, a lot of value in the mid tier of the big 12. They've got the win over Texas. Um, you know, they, and, and that don't forget that nail biter on Saturday. Gotta that's that true. Come that's on, true. man. <laughs> so the, the poor showing for Oklahoma against Kansas, uh, you know, those types of games, whether it's Kansas, whether it's early season against uh, Tulane, you know, those are some of the results that have, devalued Oklahoma's team strength rating from where it was early in the season. Um, you know, as the ratings adjust to how well you play Oklahoma started the season, you know, with a value, a rating value of 10.6 and their current rating value for strength is 18.9. So it, there has been devaluation to their strength, but that's still good enough for the sixth strongest team in the country. Some of that devaluations because Georgia has just elevated what it means. They've changed the nature of this, the one to 100 scale by playing so well as the number one team. So, Uh, so, so, so like the playoff committee, they have like the eye test and you're saying your system doesn't have any sort of eye test or anything. It's all just just numbers, right? Yeah. There's, there's no manual input into the process uh, to, to capture any of the resume data itself. Uh, the eye test perhaps is mimicked in the fact that we are capturing opponent adjusted team strength ratings. Mm-hmm. When you look at teams that play and you're like, man, Ohio state is just, you know, destroying, you know, over the last three or four weeks, whoever they play, well, they're playing chump change teams. Right. And uh, those rating systems will account for the fact that you know, they are playing chump teams or teams that are, are statistically um, you know, not to call them chump teams or to insult any of the, Ohio State opponents over the last few weeks, but they they are not as strong as um, you know some of the teams that you know, other you know, major contenders have played. So Ohio State may still be rising in the team strength ratings despite having um, you know played over the last five weeks the 90th, 127th, 71st, 70th, and 73rd strongest teams. Um, you know they're still adding value to their strength resume or their their strength rating. Um, but they're not capturing the the win value for their overall raw resume that uh, that other teams playing bigger games might capture. So you mentioned uh, earlier, you know how the committee sometimes will um, seemingly you know they have their list of criteria and some and seemingly kind of make their decision and then lean on certain criteria to justify it as opposed to the other way around. Um, you also mentioned you have logic in your model to kind of guess what the committee would do. How do you how do you uh, I don't know, account for that 
year to year change in, you know, what's important, what's less important uh, that seems to change uh, with the committee um, year to year. I think what's challenging uh, to understand the the people who are in the room, uh, they're chartered with capturing by their estimation, the four best teams every year. And, you know, there's turnover in the room, but they, they have the same charter year after year. They're looking to identify the four best teams. And I think, um, oftentimes they, you know, the composite of all the information that they're receiving to try to support whatever decision they're making, you know, it's all the same data that's available for us to capture when we're, you know, rating or, you know, ranking overall resumes or projecting season end overall resumes. Um, I think it's the same information that they're using, but sometimes when they're trying to think, you know, if they were trying to justify why Cincinnati might not be as high as they are in the AP poll, you'll hear them talk more about the uh, lack of raw resume value for Cincinnati, um, as opposed to perhaps talking about, you know, the eye test or the team strength, because, uh, you know, Cincinnati has played quite well. They rate right now as the fifth strongest team in the country. But when the committee is trying to highlight why they would have put Cincinnati where they did, perhaps uh, they might call out that, you know, Cincinnati has a nice win against Notre Dame, uh, the 10th strongest team in the country, but they might not say that. They would just say they've got a win over Notre Dame and that they don't have a lot else in terms of value on their their resume. The next strongest game, uh, the win that they have is home against UCF, which they absolutely blew out UCF. Um, but that's UCF continually degrading from where they were early in the season after Dylan Gabriel got hurt um, at quarterback. And uh, you know, the committee, they're going to, They'll mention perhaps that Cincinnati didn't play well against Navy, uh, the 108th strongest team in the country. Uh, they might talk about some other points uh, to Cincinnati's resume, but generally you'll hear that kind of narrative highlighted over other talking points the committee has uh, because it is their attempt to you know, explain for a specific case for one team, what is it that held them back or what is it that elevated that team? And so, you know, one year it might be, well, you know, we, we liked the uh, top 25 wins that Ohio State had, and, and maybe you could laugh at what the committee does, or you, you could be like, well, why in the world does Minnesota count as a top 25 win? They were 25th last week, and then they lost, and now they're 25th again. You know, how, how did you do that? And uh, so sometimes they still do things that don't make sense, and there are some times where they do things that disagree with our overall resumes, but you know, the vast majority of the time, even if their talking points, you know, highlight only one of the criterion that make an overall resume, uh, more often than not, you know, they, they are still in line relatively with what we are capturing. You know, last year, as an example, they seemed quite high on Iowa State um, along the way with two losses, one to Louisiana, who ranked in the committee's eyes below Iowa State. Uh, that was something that our resume day cap data captured. Uh, I think we actually had Iowa State higher than the committee did. And uh, depending on how you, you change what right now is a 50-50 blend between team strength and overall resume, um, I think if you adjusted that one way or the other, Iowa State could have been you know as high as fourth in uh, you know, the last couple of weeks of the committee rankings before they lost Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. So it's 
that I think to answer your question, it, it is a challenge because the committee, you know, they aren't going to talk to all of the talking points on any given week. But I think overall, they're, uh, what they're considering is very much in alignment with what we are trying to capture or implement. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know um, they, they have their talking points they try to get to, and they, they have their, like, bullet points that they try to hit on when ranking teams and stuff. And I know no system is ever perfect. Um, I mean, the AP poll is is the most highly respected poll for the last, whatever, 90, 80, whatever, how many years it's been around. And, I mean, there's still, there's still voters there that, like, don't watch the games, just check the score, the box scores at the end. Sometimes don't even want to just miss the entire game completely like uh, like Kirk Bowles did uh, in the week nine poll where he bumped Coastal Carolina up a few spots after losing. He came out later and said it was an accident. <laughs> but I'm like, so like these, these, these guys are in charge of these teams like destinies and like they're like, I mean, they're allowed to have errors or not really. And that's an incident. So I, 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 it, it sucks that we're at this point, but do you think, John, do you think that the committee, how it is right now is like, is, is that a step in the right direction for the sport of college football or is there something better out there? So I, I think it depends on, you know, how you see college football itself evolving. Uh, where are we going in terms of the sport? We've expanded to a 14 playoff and uh, the, the committee, they aren't going to get everything perfect. Um, but generally, if it's only a four-team playoff, you know, there's really never a debate of you know two teams are guaranteed who is going to take the last two spots. It's always you know fairly well understood who the top three are going into playoff weekend, and the debate's always about who's going to be number four. Or really, the debate is if these things happen, which never really happen, then who's going to be number four? Oftentimes, you'll see upsets. In 2019, both Utah and Baylor had a chance to try to play their way in both lost. You know, Oklahoma makes the playoff. It's not really a question, you know, clear cut case of a number four. So oftentimes it works itself out. Um, we haven't missed uh, a top, you know, the committee has not placed a team in the playoff without a top four resume yet since their inception. Um, well, since the second season, I don't have data for, for Baylor and TCU and, and their plight in uh, 2014, but uh, it's not a, a bad system. Uh, but you'd have to wonder how that's going to evolve if playoff, if and when playoff expansion comes to college football. You know, if you go to eight, if you go to 12, you know, I've got all sorts of great playoff ideas where you would limit the influence that the committee has and give teams an opportunity to earn their way into guaranteed spots. Uh, you know, other people have ideas, things that will never see the light of day because we're just you know, lowly statisticians and, and not the power brokers of college football. But it, it's certainly there, there's a place for someone who's willing to reevaluate the season from scratch every week. You know, that's what we try to do to capture resumes every week is a recomputation of every team's resume, all 130, start from scratch with a new understanding of how strong they are given all of the data points that make up their collective season. And then the value of every game they've played is reevaluated based on the strength, the new strength of each of their opponents. And so it, it is a way to remove the preseason bias that exists by releasing, you know, th there would be very little wrong with AP poll if they didn't release a ranking until week eight. 
but the fact that they start from right. season, you know, from preseason, it's week zero, week one, and they just start stepping through rankings. You know, there are all sorts of weird things that happen. You know, Iowa making it to number two in the country is a product of Iowa beating a ranked Indiana team that right now has, I think, two wins on the season. Uh, then they beat a ranked Wisconsin team, which as I think that's right. I'll have to go remember their exact schedule, but they, they beat a couple of teams that seem to have underperformed. They beat uh, Iowa state on the road, which, you know, Iowa state was not playing. Well, they haven't played Wisconsin yet. That's this, their next game. Um, it's getting crossed up there. So they, they beat Indiana, a ranked team who now has two wins. Uh, they beat Iowa state on the road. That is a good win. Um, but until this last week when Iowa State beat Oklahoma State, that's, that was an unranked team. Uh, Iowa State, we still have as the 12th strongest or 11th strongest team in the country. So certainly not a bad win. There's good value there. And then you beat Kent State, Colorado State, uh, Maryland, uh, which Maryland would be your 70th strongest team in the country, the best of those three games. And then you beat Penn State in a game where their starting quarterback uh, was knocked out uh, when they were up. Uh, I believe 20 to three or something like that. And then Iowa comes back to win that game, which still matters. It still matters that they won that game. And it still matters that they they get the resume value of that game. They don't rate by any stretch of the imagination as a bad team. Uh, they are uh, at the moment, the seventh strongest team in the country, but that's not a path that gets you to number two in the country unless your preseason bias overrates the value of the win against Indiana, um, overrates the value, even if just slightly, of the win on the road against Iowa State. Um, and then you just start elevating yourself, and then you get to the point where you don't move down unless you lose. Uh, so a poor performance against Colorado State, that's ignored. Uh, they beat Maryland in a game where Maryland had a 1,000 interceptions. Uh, I don't know. You, you have to give credit. You know, they certainly move up from that, but... Yeah, those types of things where preseason bias just elevates a team beyond where you know, a reevaluation of their overall resume would have them be uh, on any given week. It's the same thing with Cincinnati. Cincinnati would not be number two in the country if they started the season unranked as SMU did. Um, and they would probably, they would be higher than SMU because the win over Notre Dame is big, but they would probably be somewhere around number nine in the country where we have them this week based on their current year-to-date resume, uh, which is you know, very close to number eight, Michigan State undefeated, uh, number seven and six and five, all teams with a loss. Uh, Cincinnati would not be the number two team in the country had they not been undefeated in the regular season last year and had they not returned most of their team and then been rated as a top 10 team that just moved up you know, week after week when playing uh, weekend opponents throughout the season. Man. So what is your, I, I'm, I already know this answer. You're, you're a four team playoff uh, guy, right? No, I, oh. I am very opposed right. to the four team playoff and I'll, I'll tell you why. I am pro any system where 130 teams playing FBS football can enter the season and think to themselves, we can win every game we play. And if we win every game we play at the end of the year, we will be national champions. This is the only football sport 
um, out of any division, any level where you can enter a season and think it doesn't matter what we do. We have no chance to win a national championship. This is the only level where that exists. And, uh, you know, I personally am pro a system that creates a chance for 130 teams to play for a title. And you, you see that yeah, in basketball. Totally Oftentimes, you know, you might think, well, maybe the tournament's just too big. Bob Huggins, I think, of West Virginia mentioned that the top team should break away and make their own tournament. I think that's a terrible idea because even if, uh, even if Abilene Christian comes into the tournament and thinks we have no chance to win the title, they can still absolutely stun the Texas Longhorns in the first round. Out of all the examples over the years, why that one? <laughs> fresh on my mind. So, so I, I think even if, let's say, UTSA runs the table and you know, there's a system where they go in the playoffs – and they lose by 30 points to someone that you thought shouldn't have been in the playoffs to start with in a 14 playoff. I say, who cares? I mean, you know, the sport is about, you know, there's so many regional fan bases that would be more passionate about their team over the course of the season if they had a chance to play for a title. And maybe it stays at four and you do other things to create space for a group of five team, but it's highly unlikely at that number. You know, I'm, a proponent of, you know, my, my ideal solution is a 12 team playoff where your top four teams get a buy. The second four teams get to host a game and in each round you get to pick your opponent. So there are 12 teams. You, you create some kind of auto bid system. Maybe it's, if you're a top 20 team and you're unbeaten, you get in auto bid or whatever, or some threshold conference champion above number 15 in the country or number 20 or something you're in. It creates some way to where a, an unbeaten team from a group of five league can guarantee that they get in somehow. But then you do all the things that you would want to do to give advantages to the teams you thought deserved to be there. You know, the, the team that's fifth in the country having to play a first round game, you know, if they thought that the team that was 10th in the country was just way overrated, you know, the committee shouldn't have to pit them up against the 12th team if they thought they were a, a much worse matchup. You know, give them a chance to pick their opponent create a spectacle out of it, make it fun. And, uh, and then turn around and do it again for the top eight games where you have the four winners, you know, if the 12 seed beats the, the five seed and the one seed thinks, well, that's just going to be an easy game. They're the 12 seed. They suck. You know, they're terrible. <laughs> and we'll pick them as our opponent. And it's, you know, just, I'm a, I'm a fan of doing things that make it fun. And yeah, I think totally. a lot of people think you would devalue the regular season by expanding the playoff. Yeah, that's a big point. You know, all of these games matter right now. And, and to some extent they do. Uh, but you can Everyone create a, says that their, their team plays FCS schools during the season. So <laughs> they, they can shush about that. So it, if you if you decided you were going to expand the playoff, but you wanted to keep the value of the res- regular season, you can create incentive structures within the playoff to where it still matters that you – made it to the top four. You know, there's a buy. There's the ability to pick your opponent for the top seed and the second seed. You know, that matters. You know, if you get to decide which of these four teams is the best matchup for us, you know, that's valuable. That's value add to being a top team. Or or if you're trying to get to be in the, the top 12, but it's playing your way into the top eight. So you get to host a game in the first round. I know that some of the proposed solutions had all those games at neutral sites. I think that's a terrible idea. 
you know, create some advantage in the playoff. So that way you don't lose the value of the regular season along the way. And so that, that's my thought. Uh, I'd love to see something like that. Just create a chance, create a path in, and we'll all get to celebrate together and root together when a UTSA shocks the world and upsets, you know, 11 and two Iowa in the first round of the playoffs and we'll yeah, celebrate and have fun together. But uh, the current system will never see that. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the old, the, you know, these games matter. Uh, well, that that's true for an Alabama. Right. It's not true for a UTSA. The games right. don't matter because they're, they're never going to get in. They're never going to get right now. They don't have a path to get to the playoff. So their games don't matter. If you expanded it and let everybody, um, like you're saying, you know, you start the season and you can tell yourself if you win every single game, you're going to win a championship. Then the games matter. Yeah. The only way UTSA has a path with this current system is if like there are three non-conference games, they play Alabama, Georgia, and uh, Ohio state in their three non-conference games. That's the only way. And they have to win them all. Never going to happen. I think there's a, there is a single path for a group of five team right now. And that is to beat, along the season, a power five team that would otherwise be in the playoff. And that, that means, you know, for Cincinnati, you know, they're, they're getting the benefit of, of having an early head start. Right. But for but, someone like SMU, if SMU right. goes through their schedule unbeaten, they're not getting in. But what if TCU went 11 and one or 12 and one and won the big 12? If TCU is at a place where they could be the number four team in the country and SMU is 13 and 0 with, you know, a strong opponent adjusted team strength rating and with a win over a team that would otherwise be in, that is probably the only path in right now for a group of five team. Yeah. Cincinnati I, might I'm, be I'm on that path. For, I'm kind of bummed for Cincinnati because, you know, they, they started ranked high. Like they started at number eight in the preseason poll, kept winning, going down, down, down. And they wasted their, their top 10 win against Notre Dame in week four, like, why couldn't that have been like, like in November where we're like Notre Dame's like gone down to like the top five, just based on people losing in front of them based on their easy schedule. And then, then Cincinnati would be a top five team. Like it would have been much better for Cincinnati, same game, same win, but it, it just sucks that, um, that happens so early. Yeah. They're not going to, the playoff committee's not going to remember it or care. Yeah. That's one of the things uh, I dislike about the the way the committee does things right now. They seem to value late season results more so than early season results. And it, it in a way, devalues the games that were played early in the season. Uh, for instance, if and when the committee places Ohio State ahead of Oregon when they have the same record, and that is unlikely to change as the season progresses, Oregon projected to win every game left on their schedule and finish 12 and one, you know, it devalues the game. Whereas if Oregon beat Ohio state in week 12, you know, it doesn't matter how bad Oregon was before that game. They're going to jump up ahead of Ohio state. Uh, I, I think there is some devaluation. Now we, in our end of year projected rankings, we have 10 and two Ohio state at six and 12 and one Oregon at 10. And uh, that's not because I I'm not a fan of applying head to head results because I absolutely am. That's just because the, the data that triggers whether or not Ohio state just seems significantly stronger than Oregon, you know, kicks in Ohio state with a strength rating of 9.9 
uh, third strongest team in the country in Oregon, uh, a rating of 28.9, the 20th strongest team in the country or somewhere in the 20s, uh, I believe. So it, it's not that uh, it it's Oregon's fault in reality that they are not strong enough to where you know, the committee is going to value that head-to-head result. Um, but the fact that if that game happened in the last latter weeks of the season, it wouldn't matter bothers me a little bit. Just the, yeah. the, the committee criterion just is not quite as consistent throughout the course of the year as, as I wish it were. For sure, for sure. All right. Let's get into pick them. Let's start picking some games here. So we've got some big games. I think some pretty interesting games um, on the on our ten game slate here. Um, first off, which I think is probably the biggest game as far as implications for um, you know playoff and all that, is probably Michigan Michigan State. Uh, what do y'all think about this game? I mean, I if you would have told me uh, at the beginning of the season. Hey, when Michigan plays Michigan State, it's going to be like a top ten matchup. I'd be like, yeah, right. Um, it's uh, Michigan's playing great. Michigan State's playing great. Michigan is what number six, undefeated. I mean, technically, they haven't really played anyone really. I think Michigan State will be their first ranked team they've played. Uh, Michigan State has a little bit better of a resume. They beat Miami, but you know, <laughs> Miami's just Miami. They. Shouldn't have been ranked. That that's uh, preseason bias uh, right there. So, really, they're they're, they're very similar. Um, I think this will be a, a classic Big Ten matchup. Uh, it's at Michigan State, so I think, I think, I think the Spartans can pull it off, and I think uh, Harbaugh will the Harbaugh derailment train will just start start going into high gear uh, after this Saturday. Um, you know they they've they've gotten by with with a seven zero record, but I think the rest of their season they, they got Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, um, all the ranked state schools. They they still have to play, so I, I just don't see them getting through those unscathed. And I think Michigan State will be the first one that that tests them and shows their weaknesses. And I think uh, the Wolverines are sent home crying. So give me Michigan State on this one. SP Plus has Michigan as a three and a half point favorite. And, you know, you go back to, I would go and look at, you know, Harbaugh in, um, you know, hit one of his big raps is can't win the rivalry games, right? Or can't win against Ohio State. This is a rivalry game that he's been able to win. So um, I'm actually going to take Michigan State, um, go with, with the favorite here. Um, Michigan State or Michigan, go with the favorite Michigan. Sorry, in East Lansing. So this is an interesting matchup insofar as it's two of the teams that have risen the most from preseason projections to where they are right now. Uh, from a team strength rating uh, perspective, of the top, you know, fifteen teams in the country, uh, these are amongst the top you know, improvers in Michigan. You're going from a rating of 41.6 up to 12.9. They're the fourth strongest team in the country. Michigan State was below average in that their preseason rating was 55.3. It 
they were closer to being the worst team in the country than the best team in the country. Um, they are now up to 12th strongest in the country with a rating of 23.7 from our composite team strength rating. Uh, so it's it's not a a clear cut game. I think the margin is a little stronger than what S and P plus uh, projects in terms of uh, where that line ought to be. It, it's about the difference of let's say Texas, a team we know, you know they they can fall on their fl- face in the fourth quarter, but they're still not a bad team. It'd be about the same as Texas going on the road at Liberty to play a game, and and you probably wouldn't question as much, or you'd feel a lot stronger about the the Longhorns in that game, then maybe you feel about Michigan over Michigan state in this one, because they're both undefeated. Um, you know, at this rate, Michigan has been improving over the last handful of weeks from a, a strength rating perspective, but so has Michigan. Um, I, I think Michigan, if they continue to improve as they have, if they show the strength that they have shown o- over the rest of the season, uh, I think they will cover any spread put on this game. Um, they are a favored team, and right now uh, they are our projected number two seed in the playoffs with a, a 13-0 projection. Uh, they may fall on their face uh, against Michigan State and lose. They might lose three or four games the rest of the year, uh, as they have been known to do once they finally seem like they're on the precipice of greatness. But you know, at the moment, it wins over Ohio State, uh, Iowa in the Big Ten title game, and this week, Michigan State seem uh, in the cards for Michigan. So we'll take Michigan uh, as a winner this week. All right, next up, we'll stay in the uh, Big Ten. Let's go Penn State, uh, Ohio State. Um, you know, if Penn State hadn't lost yet, I would say give me uh, Nittany Lions all day long. But, you know... Ohio State just seems to somehow play better second half of the season. So I, I just don't see this being as difficult for them. You know, it's a, it's in Columbus. Um, I think Ohio State's going to pull this one off. Um, yeah, so that's all I got to say. Uh, so SP Plus has this as the largest margin of all the 10 games that we're going to uh, pick. I And I – Tend to agree with them. I think I think Penn State is. Um, I think they're getting their quarterback back, um, and but I don't think that that's going to be enough. I think uh, Ohio State is going to roll in this one. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Penn State. Uh, there were weeks in our our projections where we had this as one of the closest games of the week. Uh, coming in, there was a time where Penn State rated as a stronger team than Ohio State. But the the poor performance against Iowa uh, stacked right on top of their now very poor performance against Illinois um, really hurt their team strength rating. They've got one of the worst resumes um, in the country right now for what we still have as a top 25 team. Um if you think back to their resume, the win against Auburn uh, at home, Auburn has, has shown some strength. They're still not a bad team, um, but that was a, a game certainly within margin of you know, the home field advantage uh, for Penn State. Uh, they've got you know what would be a, a nice win over Wisconsin again uh, early in the season when Wisconsin didn't know how to play offense. 
Um, hard to know if that carries any weight. We're far enough removed from that. I think you know, what you're going off of is the strength they showed um, you know, against Iowa for, for the second half seemed to really take the air out of their season. Um, it really manifested itself against uh, Illinois in, in their poor performance uh, on Saturday. And it, it's hard to see that changing going forward. The, the projections certainly don't capture that. We have Penn State finishing the season seven and five. So, you know, you remember this game right now as a big ranked game. Um, but when the season is over, you might not look back and think of Penn State as the, you know, the top 10 team, you know, that might matter for someone like Iowa. who picked up that big home win. If Penn State finished the season seven and five, you know, that might not be the value add that you would otherwise think. So we'll take Ohio State in that game and, uh, based on where those teams are trending, it may not be close. All right. Um, one more big game we're going to kind of dive into, and that is the University of Texas. They're going to cross the Brazos and uh, meet the Baylor Bears in Waco, Texas. Who, who do we got in this game? Who do we got in this game? So I just don't see Texas dropping three straight uh, against ranked teams with by getting giant leads and then losing it. If they lose this one, I think it'll be a romp fest that they just didn't see coming, kind of like Arkansas. I, I they are there's no way they're going to go up by three scores and then lose again. I think they roll in this one. They've had a bye week. Their uh, Oklahoma State just lost. Like the the balls are rolling for them to end up uh, against Oklahoma in the championship. But we have to win every single game, and I think. Knowing that it's this or end of season for for that, I think that in itself will kind of give them the oomph they need to to not uh, get only one yard in the fourth quarter. Uh, so I definitely have Texas in this one. I would I would put it in the if, if I was giving confidence on this one, I put it with as a fat ten right there. I'm going all in. <laughs> this is it. This has to be it. So SP plus says this is a three-point uh, Baylor favorite, um, and m- most of that is from being the home team. Um, as far as the actual SP Plus ratings, they're within a point of each other. Um, I think this is going to be – this is it's one of those games where it's a pretty good offense versus a pretty good defense. Um, and I've heard every, every year you, you hear people swear by good defenses beat good offenses and vice versa. So, um, I think um, this is going to be a rough day for Texas, no. uh, and I am going to take the home team, the Baylor Bears. Yeah, I, I didn't see you picking Texas two weeks in a row, or two times in a row. Didn't see it. I could never. My my soul couldn't take it. <laughs> So I've got a little bit of insider action on this game. I am oh, a yeah. Baylor alum. And so uh, I, instead of spending my time pining on who I think will win, I will instead spend my time explaining to you why uh, why the Texas Longhorns do not stand a chance in this game. Uh, what you got? I, I'd say for starters uh, – Baylor is a good team. They've played really well. Actually, I, I, I'll go back and talk more like, like normal. I'm not that big of a smack talk guy. 
because uh, <laughs> I've got my second team, uh, my master's degree team with SMU. They're still in the hunt for for greatness and glory this season. So it's, it's not all on the table for me yet uh, as a fan. But you know, Baylor is a good team. They've played really well. They've got a very different style uh, than what Texas does. Texas, you know, they like to get uh, Robinson running the ball. He's perhaps one of, if not the best running backs in the country. Um, you know, Heisman contender if Texas hadn't lost so many games probably. Um, not that exactly. losses should matter for the Heisman, but, uh, right. but it, it does, seems though. to. Uh, yeah. For a running back who can't win the game on his own or play defense, but he's he's been <laughs> phenomenally. Um, the The problem or the the way Texas wins this game, if they are going to win, is they will they will not uh, try to feature the running game as heavily as they have in in past games. They will instead beat Baylor uh, by really testing the corners and the safeties on deep balls. I know Texas, you know, they've been known to take shots. Uh, in a lot of their games so far this season, they're going to need to take a lot of them. Uh, that's where Baylor has some vulnerability. Their front seven is uh, perhaps the or one of the best front sevens in the Big 12. Uh, you know, certainly a standout unit for the whole country. Uh, their front four, you know, very hard to move off the ball. Uh, the LSU transfer at defensive tackle, uh, just dominant so far early in the season. They've got fantastic all Big 12 linebacker play. So Texas could absolutely win the game, but it will be by uh, hitting the deep ball and testing the corners uh, early and often. Uh, on offense, Baylor, they run the football uh, very good at that. Uh, there's a time this season where their offensive line ranked it, or rated by pro football focus as the top offensive line unit in the country. And, and I believe they're still you know, quite a ways up there. They're running back one of the highest rated you know, yards per carry running backs in the country, uh, I think ahead of Robinson from Texas. So they certainly have grown in terms of their team strength over the year. Uh, they have surpassed Texas. Texas is one of the few teams uh, still in the top 25 of the overall raw team strength rating that have dropped from where they started the season at, um, you know, partially due to some of those unexpected losses, both to Oklahoma State and to Arkansas. Um, I think Baylor, you know, from our projections, they are – 2.9 rating points stronger and get a three rating point bonus from playing at home. Uh, so that's enough of a margin to project as a winner in a close game. Uh, this seems like a, a big game for both schools. It would almost be elimination for both schools if they lost uh, from the big 12 title game, but it may not matter either way. Uh, Baylor could win every game left on their schedule. And uh, if they end up in a, a three-way tiebreaker with Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State's refusal to win by more than 19 points last week ensured that uh, when when margin of victory is applied in a three-way tiebreaker, that Baylor would find themselves on the bottom. So uh, I, I believe that you know, I will take Baylor, not just because I'm a homer, but because that seems to be where the data is. Uh, but it certainly will be... It'll be one of the more nerve-wracking games on the on the season for me. Um, I, I don't necessarily expect us by us, you know, Baylor. I don't expect my team to win that game, uh, but I'll certainly be happy if they do. All right, uh, we've got a few more. Let's run through these kind of uh, real quick. Um, Virginia at BYU. BYU for me. 
I'm going to take uh, Virginia. I think Virginia is a sneaky good team. They have a good quarterback. Um, I'll take Virginia on the road. I have this as a matchup between the 28th strongest team in the country and the 45th strongest team in the country. And uh, I will take the 28th strongest team in the country to win that game. And that would be Virginia. SMU Houston. Pony up. SMU for me. Yeah, I'll take SMU as well. That's a close one, though, but I'll take SMU as well. This is a big game for Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati is struggling from a raw resume perspective. Uh, They project to only have the seventh strongest year-end resume at 13-0. They would be behind two-loss Alabama, uh, a 12-1 ACC champion Pittsburgh, and 10-2 Ohio State. It's not a bad projection per se for Cincinnati. They'd likely get in uh, in that scenario. You know, Alabama's not going to make it as a two-loss team and turn around and play Georgia again. Uh, Pitt lost to Western Michigan. That's hard to recover from. Ohio State, um, they have you know two losses, no conference championship. They're not getting in. But Wake Forest, our number eight team at 12-1 and one, you know, in our projected rankings, if they beat Pitt in the ACC title game, that would be a problem for Cincinnati from a resume perspective. Uh, they would surpass the Bearcats. And so Cincinnati needs all of the raw resume value they can get. And this year, that would mean getting to play SMU twice as opposed to playing SMU in the regular season and then playing Houston in the ACC uh, conference championship game, or AAC, I should say, conference championship game. Um, it would be more valuable to Cincinnati if SMU wins this game uh, between the second and third contenders from the AAC. And uh, uh, I believe they will win the game. So I'll take SMU in this one. All right, next, Ole Miss at Auburn. Mm, I think Ole Miss. Yeah, I think uh, actually SP Plus has Auburn um, as a slim favorite in this game. I don't buy it. I think this is I think this is uh, Old Bill's uh, famously never disappearing priors propping up an Auburn team and kind of undervaluing an Ole Miss. So give me give me Ole Miss to win this one. Yeah, I've got Ole Miss as well winning this game. I have Ole Miss finishing the season at 11-1, and projecting to win each of their remaining games. Uh, It's the rare case of an SEC West one-loss team not really being in the playoff picture, and and that is a byproduct of not getting any value in their cross-divisional games in the SEC, uh, not getting a ton in non-conference, and – that's pretty much it. I mean, they rate as the ninth strongest team in the country, uh, normally in the SEC West, finishing with only one loss to Alabama. You know, there's enough resume value for the ninth strongest team in the country to you know, find themselves after all the data is normalized somewhere between five and seven in the end of year projections, which means they have a shot. They'll be in the conversation for the four spot. Um, but you know, we, we don't see Ole Miss making it that far without you know, a lot of upsets ahead of them. Uh, I will take them to beat Auburn in this game, though. 
All right, next, uh, Kentucky at Mississippi State. Kentucky all day. Uh, I'm going to go with the Pirate himself. I'm going to go with Mississippi State to win this one at home. This is an interesting game insofar as Kentucky is the other SEC team that we currently project to go 11-1 and and also not have a chance to make the playoff or even be in the conversation. Uh, where Ole Miss, we projected to you know, come in at 12th in the country at 11 and one. Uh, you know, a note: we don't project upsets, so they happen. Teams will drop down when when upsets happen. Um, but for now, you know, 11 and one gets Ole Miss only to 12. 11 and one Kentucky would be at 17 behind nine and four Iowa State uh, from the Big 12, and that is again a testament to the lack of value in their cross-divisional games, Mississippi State being one of those uh, lack of value games uh, for Kentucky. They have a nice win against Florida. Uh, Florida has dropped some in the team strength ratings uh, after taking a, a second loss. Um, I, we have Kentucky winning this game. Uh, you know, they're the 22nd strongest team, Mississippi State the 48th strongest team. Um, they should be a comfortable favorite and project to win the game. We'll take them in this game. Uh, it's it's just a shame for Kentucky that another SEC team projecting to finish 11-1 and may not find themselves in the conversation like they would like to be. Uh, Iowa at Wisconsin. Um, uh... Uh, Iowa is, in the words of Dennis Green, they were we thought they were. (laughs) I'm going to go with Wisconsin at home. So every week uh, so far we have averaged in the the 10 pick'em games that that we go with, uh, on any given week, two or three teams will upset what projected as the winner and – you know, I, I would like to be the first person to go 10 and 0 in these ratings or in these uh, projections. And, and I know that at best, I'm probably going to go eight and two or seven and three if I stick to uh, the rating guns, as it were. Um, I think Iowa, they are not as as good as as would seem. Their offense seems incapable of um, producing. You know, scores and volumes, Wisconsin has improved from where they were at earlier this season from an offensive perspective. Um, if they have solved their offensive woes of the early season, I think Wisconsin rolls in this game. Uh, as it stands, though, uh, I think Iowa's defense uh, gets some stops. I think they get a chance late in the game with the ball, uh, but their, their ineptitude on offense comes back to bite them we'll take wisconsin uh in this one in an upset an unexpected result not what we project to happen uh but in an effort to guess which of these games are going to yield unexpected results we'll take wisconsin uh, and hope cross our fingers fresno state at san diego state uh san diego state yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think this uh, the total on this is low. Um, I think with low totals, turnovers are big. Um, give me a give me a stout, stout defense in San Diego State with uh, turnovers playing a big role in this game. 
So this is a, uh, a home game for San Diego State. They rate as the stronger team. Uh, the differential between the two teams is about the same as Baylor rating as the stronger team and projecting to win at home over Texas. Uh, given that San Diego State has finally, in our projections, elevated themselves to uh, an undefeated projected season end result, uh, that seems about the appropriate time for the uh, upset fairy to come in and, and drop a bomb on their season. Uh, again, an unexpected result, but we will take Fresno State as our pick in this one on the road uh, to produce an unexpected, unprojected result and upset San Diego State. All right, and last but not least, Georgia at Florida. I say at. Neutral site. Yeah, it's a neutral site game. Technically, Florida's the home team, I guess. Uh, Georgia, not even going to be close. Yeah, I think Georgia rolls. The difference between Georgia and Florida from a strength rating perspective is the same difference between Florida and Colorado State of the Mountain West. Um, we will take we will take Georgia to win every game left on their schedule, yep. and uh, we'll not feel bad about that. Fantastic. All right. Y'all know what time it is. It's about that time, folks. It is time for some Aggie facts. Everyone's favorite segment. Uh, I'm going to start this one. Uh, this is just a great one. Uh, in the last three seasons, Texas A&M has only had three regular season wins over opponents with winning records. Alabama became their third uh, this season. Ouch. I came ill-prepared, so uh, <laughs> John, take it away. All right, so I'm going to call back to – when Kansas wasn't Kansas and there was another Kansas of the big 12, uh, when there was a school in conference, uh, that produced the following conference results, you know, season after season, starting in 1996, a, a school finished one and seven, one and seven, one and seven, oh, and eight, oh, and eight, oh, and eight, one and seven, one and seven, one and seven. <laughs> that school was Baylor, uh, which was my, Alma mater. And when I showed up to campus in 2011, uh, that was the first season where Baylor, you know, that was Robert Griffin's Heisman season. It was it, one of the seasons with great, you know, unbelievable wins, storming the field, fantastic results. You know, one of the most exciting seasons with lots of exciting games that Baylor had seen in a long time. But in the midst of that one and seven or 0 and eight run, where the team collectively, you know, at one point went five and sixty-three in conference play. Um, that that stretch of football produced one of Baylor's all-time great uh, results, and that was in two thousand and four, fresh off of a, a five and sixty-three run in conference play uh, at home against the six and one sixteenth-ranked team in the country, the Texas A&M Aggies. And uh, that Baylor team at two and five going into the game, zero and four in conference play, would <laughs> would come from thirteen to three down at halftime. You know, tie the game up going into the fourth quarter, an electric fourth quarter, fourteen points on the board for each team, and they would win it in overtime, thirty-five to thirty-four. Uh, a stunning victory for the the Kansas of the early two thousands. <laughs> 
the Baylor Bears over the fighting Fan- Texas Aggies. Fantastic. You know what's great is I, I have dug through a lot of random Aggie Aggie trivia. Um, and as soon as you started talking about this, I was like, oh, this is very familiar. This is very familiar. And you are correct. Uh, I have one from back in May randomly where it's Baylor went 1-7 and seven in conference play in 04. That one win was against number 16 A&M. There's so many great little nuggets like that with AM that it, it makes it so easy and so fun to, to, to look up. I always enjoy when other schools can come in and they all, then there's always an Aggie pack. Always. Love it. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again. Um, be sure and go follow uh, John Wheeler on Twitter. Uh, where are you at? Tell them where, tell them where to find you. We are at CFP resume ranks. And uh, that is not rankings because Twitter has a character limitation, but uh, we're over there. CFP resume ranks. We're capturing, you know, what the committee probably will do on any given week. You know, you can see the data behind why the committee might do what they do. You get to understand yeah, you'll have the data available, so whenever they make mistakes or do horrible things, you can appropriately call them out for their trash rankings week in and yes. week out. And then uh, <laughs> if you want to understand where your team might finish at the end of the year, if you think you're in contention and, and you'd like to feel a little bit worse about where you're at, you can come look at our end-of-year projections to see your team <laughs> finishing well out of contention uh, for the playoff. Uh, but yeah absolutely come find Fantastic. us you know, ask questions there is a data explanation for everything that we post for everything we capture uh, don't hesitate to ask we're not afraid to be challenged we're happy to point towards all the flaws of other systems that we borrow from and not take any credit ourselves uh, so we're here we're happy to to have you guys on board so thanks for having me yeah, yeah absolutely thanks for coming Thanks for coming and talking football with us. Always fun. All right. Well, that wraps it up. See you guys. Stats are for losers.